I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. Just wait. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan, and this is Desmond, and welcome to episode sixty of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right, it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com go ahead and check out our two black saiyans collection inspired by dragon ball z we have all the familiar items such as t-shirts and crew necks in brand new colors by the way but we've also added dad hats that's right two black nerds dad hats can be purchased right now on our website so go ahead and place those orders Mm -hmm. right now on today's show, we have some movies to review, including Escape Room Tournament of Champions, the sequel to the 2019 psychological horror film. We will also be discussing the Fear Street trilogy, which has been released weekly on Netflix this month. Plus, we have a very special interview with Phil Hughes, the producer for the upcoming independent romantic comedy Thruple. But before we get to any of and all of that, we're going to kick off today's show with a review of a film 25 years in the making. That's right. Mm. I'm talking about Space Jam, A New Legacy. Basketball camp is next weekend. You got amazing potential on the court, and I can help you get there. That's not what I want, Dad. You never let me do what I want to do. You never let me just do me. Hold up. Wrong floor. I bet Will Smith ain't got to deal with this. Dad! Dumb! What in the Matrix hell? Welcome to the space. The space. The space. Welcome, King James. I am the king of this domain. This is the serververse. What'd you do to my son? Where's Dom? The only way you're getting your son back is if you and I play a little basketball. Pete, send this clown to the rejects. Wait! What is this? I'm a cartoon? What's up, Doc? I need to assemble an elite team to help give my son back. I know what you're looking for. A dream team. Man, shoot the ball. Let's try that again, shall we? King James. Welcome to the Space James. Let's end this. Got you, Kron? And get our son back. 
<laughs> Classic. Welcome to the Space Jam. I'm going old school on his butt. Whoa. Welcome to the Space Jam. Now, this film is directed by Malcolm D. Lee. It's written by Jewel Taylor, Tony Redmayer, Keenan Coogler, Terrence Nance, Jesse Gordon, and Celeste Ballard. And it's starring LeBron James, Don Cheadle, Chris Davis, Sonequa Martin-Green, Jeff Bergman, Eric Bauza, and Zendaya. Now, again, 25 years in the making. This has been a long time coming. A sequel to Space Jam has pretty much been in all phases of development hell after the first one came out in 1996, we all know that the 1996 film starring Michael Jordan is considered a cult classic. It's considered a cultural basketball classic. It's also the highest grossing basketball film of all time. So it was hugely successful. It came out at the height of NJ's popularity, at the height of the Looney Tunes popularity as well. And as soon as it became successful, obviously Warner Brothers wanted to make another one. Why wouldn't they, of course? Michael Jordan didn't want to come back. He did not want to do another one. He refused to return. And so they went through all all sorts of iterations to try to make another Space Jam movie for the longest. They even had other concepts that they were toying around with and other stars that they could possibly bring on, on, on board for the sequel, such as Jackie Chan, which they would have called Spy Jam. They also tried to do another movie with Tony Hawk <laughs> called Skate Jam. And they even tried to go with uh, Jeff Gordon, the NASCAR racer, and do, you guessed it, Race Jam. So they have tried many, many times to make a Space Jam sequel was not successful for the longest until mm-hmm. we got a worthwhile player in the NBA, one of the greatest of all time, Le- LeBron James, who grew up a fan of the original, who wanted to do another Space Jam movie. And so in 2014, mm. he officially signed on to to do a sequel to Space Jam. And it's taken quite a while to actually get it off the ground and for it to get made. But in 2014, he made the commitment to be a part of this film. And it just was recently released this past week, of course, in theaters, but also on HBO Max, continuing their trend of releasing all of their 2021 films day and date on HBO Max and in theaters. And so we both actually went to the movies to go see this film. I know you and I are both really, really big Space Jam fans of the original that obviously hit us at a very pivotal moment of our childhoods. And Mm -hmm. we've lived with that film for 25 years now. And again, it's grown into this really cultural and cult cult like movie that's just taken on a life of its own ever since it came out back in 1996 but here we are with the sequel the the sequel that a lot of people have probably been waiting for and been wondering about for for quite a while now so we got a chance to see it so i'm gonna kick it over to you man what did you think about space jam a new legacy yeah first and foremost of course this movie is about um lebron james and his son dom not his real son of course um but what happens is they get trapped in virtual digital space by a rogue AI algorithm. Um, and to get home safely, naturally, uh, LeBron has to team up with Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and the rest of the Looney Tunes gang for a high-stakes basketball game against the AIs of um, a digitized court, um, which turns out to be, I guess, the, the newer Goon Squad. Goon Squad mm-hmm. 2021, um, I guess, is what it, what it turns out being. So... Um, people are going to enjoy this movie. People do enjoy this movie. I enjoyed parts of this movie, uh, but it's okay to recognize that it's not good. Um, and for, for many reasons, first and foremost, it's two hours long and they do not manage to fill the time well at all to me. Uh, when the, essentially when the last 
um, when the basketball game finally gets ramped up uh, in this new Space Jam, the old, the other Space Jam was like in its conclusion. Um, so if you think about it like that, it's like, yeah, this is a, a long ass movie to say the least. Um, at its core, it's a movie about a father trying to learn how the consequences of putting his expectations uh, wrapped in himself on his son goes, right? And, but the, the noise kind of mitigates that story. Uh, we're all here to see the Looney Tunes and the basketball game. And when we finally get there, it becomes an entire another hour of runtime um, in, in the movie, which is, again, just like, why is this movie so damn long? The storyline is very unfocused. And although... You know, the acting is bad. It's not like we're out here, again, expecting a Daniel Day-Lewis performance out of people. Like, uh, But it, it can be con- distracting at times and cringeworthy. It's not, uh, you know, sometimes there's, there's movies where the acting is bad, but it becomes very charismatic, right? It's like, oh, it's bad, but it's fine. In fact, Nicolas Cage does this all the time. Like, <laughs> like sometimes it'll be bad acting, but it, it feels better because it's Nicolas Cage, you know? It's like, oh, that's what he does. And here it does not feel like that. Um, the film suffers from an extreme case of ADHD. There was so much going on all the time. They would was What's really interesting, too, about this film is they would allude to and tease aspects of the film that would have been good story elements, um, which... I guess I'm, I guess I don't know if this is a spoiler. It's not really a spoiler. What happens is the Looney Tunes keep are constantly referred to as rejects, and they've never went down the path <laughs> to say this is why they're rejects. This is why really this is happening. They they just it just kind of is. Um, and and I think if they would explore that somehow, along with the sun potentially being that very thing, whatever I, it was there and they didn't do it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and that was that was kind of annoying for me. Um, and again, the, the biggest crazy thing with this movie, which is like bittersweet is the movie was stuck in a regurgitative state, uh, with Warner brothers, IPs and characters. It's literally like, which at first as a pop culture nerd, right. is really fun to see like, Oh shoot, that's in here. And oh shoot, that's in there. But after a while you start to question how much do they really need to promote HBO max in a movie that's on HBO max. Like, in a two-hour... It's pretty much a two-hour Nike ad in Warner Brothers commercial. That's really pretty much what this movie is. Uh, <laughs> on a more positive tangent, uh, there's some, it, it, was, it was a couple laughs for me. You know, you're going to laugh about five or six times in the movie. It's still something to watch, you know. Um, but, you know, and there's a lot of elements of blackness that we don't get to see in other forms of media, right? Whether it's a black dad, again, um, just... just trying to figure out how to how to relate to his black son or whether LeBron is putting on a do-rag before he goes to sleep. You know, it's like little simple things like that uh, that, that I appreciated for sure. Um, they were refreshing. Plus the Looney Tunes, I mean, they were effort, effortlessly funny and they, I think they will always will be. Like that was the, I wasn't worried about that part. And the CGI was actually really crazy, which both of us were looking at the credits and they were like, 500 people on visual effects, whatever that's about. So many. <laughs> um, and you can res- you can see the results, though. Like, the, the visual effects was crazy, uh, for, for sure. And uh, kids are going to love it and all of its silliness. And it's something to watch. But in the end, the film just misses the nostalgia mark that it seeks to be. And it manages to feel soulless. And that is how I felt about Space Jam, A New Legacy. A lot of, lot of IP throw up. 
Um, and yeah, it's just a, it's just a bad movie, but it is what it is. People are gonna like it. I'll I'll start off and say this is sort of a disclaimer because there's been so much conversation on the internet about reviewing this film and what people think of it and sort of the mm-hmm. reactions that have come out about this movie and obviously comparisons to the original, which was always going to be inevitable. It's only an extension of the comparisons right. that LeBron has already faced to MJ. But there's been a lot of talk about how, yes, the original was also lambasted when it came out. People crushed it. It mm-hmm. did not do great in reviews. However, it was hugely successful. Again, highest grossing basketball movie of all time. It's become a cult and cultural touchstone for a lot of people, especially of that generation. And so there's definitely comparisons comparisons to this one suffering sort of the same fate that it is getting ridiculed by reviewers and there's been a lot of talk on social media about people um who think that reviewers are sort of i don't know maybe out of touch or maybe don't really get the idea of like speaking of speaking on a film that's obviously targeted for children and and giving these you know really sort of I don't know, maybe over insight for over analytical impressions of the film when it's supposed to be a simple, simple thing that we're consuming. It's not supposed to be this really um, mm-hmm. high watermark for cinema. I don't think anybody's right. expecting that, of course. And what I'll say to that is that, you know, one, yes, there has to be an awareness of the movie that you're watching mm-hmm. and reviewing mm-hmm. if you are a critic. And I'll be the first to say I never have and never will consider myself a critic. I'm a fan, first and foremost, just giving my opinion on something. But I will say that there should be an awareness about what you're watching and things should be judged as how they're presented and what they are. You know, I'm not going to put Space Jam one or two up against the great films of our time, like Parasite, Mm -hmm. for example. I'm going to review it for what it is. This is a movie targeted for children and I'm not a child. I'm an adult consuming this. But what I'll add to that is that as, as somebody who will review it or... I think speaking, you know, from the perspective of maybe maybe critics who who do this professionally like that, mm-hmm. that is their job to review a movie. And right. just because you don't agree with their opinion doesn't make their opinion any less valid. Like it's mm-hmm. still their opinion. And so if they think that it's a trash movie and they want to, you know, drag it through the mud and they have all these opinions about the final product, then so be it. Right. Mm-hmm. It can still be a successful movie regardless of their opinions, which right. it obviously has been. It took the number one spot at the box office away from Black Widow this past week and made over $30 mm-hmm. million. So a movie's going to be successful regardless of what critics think about um, certain aspects of it, of course. Um, they, they do play a part in influencing whether audiences go to see this or not, but this was always going to be a successful movie just based off of the name and the person that's in the lead role. So I just want to get that out the way. With all of that said... This is a bad movie, straight up. Like, we can recognize that this is not a good movie. Mm -hmm. It is pretty bad across the board. There are, again, as you mentioned, things that I like about it. There were moments where I laughed and I can enjoy myself and just, like, give up to the film and let it wash over me and not think hard about it. That's absolutely the expectation that I went into it Mm -hmm. knowing what I'm signing up for. However, I can still say this is just not a good well-made movie for the most part it's well-made from a technical level yes like there Mm -hmm. is artistry behind the animation and the effects and the cgi and all that stuff most of it looks great except don Cheadle when he turned into a completely animated figure by the end of the movie that looked awful but the rest of it looks really really good but the real the real problem for me watching this entire film two hours as it is when the first one is 88 minutes what the fuck is that about is what you spoke about this this idea of including all of this ip this intellectual property throughout the movie now there's obvious 
comparisons that can be made to other films recently that have done the same thing, such as Ready Player One, which is also a Warner Brothers film, Mm -hmm. or even Ralph Breaks the Internet, Wreck-It Ralph 2, which included a ton of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, IP all throughout the movie. The big difference is, one, those two movies are good, and secondly, (laughs) the IP that was included in those movies typically actually lended itself to the story. Like, they were actually a part of the story. Mm -hmm. All of the shit that's thrown in here is not a part of the story by any stretch of the imagination. It's only included just to show off, hey, we're Warner Brothers. Look at all of the stuff that we have. Mm -hmm. Did you forget that we own The Matrix? Did you forget that we own Harry Potter? Did you forget that we own all the DC superheroes that you go to see all the time in the movies? No, we didn't forget. All audiences are pretty much smart enough to know who owns what at this point. We all know that everything is owned by the big two or three companies in every industry, really. So I don't think we needed that reminder. And secondly, this should have just been called Warner Brothers the movie because there's not much space jam about it, to be honest with you. All the stuff that Mm -hmm. made the original so great are really not present here, barring the fact that you have the greatest athlete, the greatest basketball player alive in your movie, and you have Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes. Yes, those are the comparisons, but this is really just Warner Brothers' movie. We got everything thrown at us, and while it's cool to see in the beginning, it eventually it fades away. Like I, At a certain point, I'm like, okay, we're just witnessing all of this stuff just get thrown at us. Oh, there's mm-hmm. Iron Giant and King Kong, and Mr. Freeze is all of a sudden courtside. What's going on here? Game of Thrones <laughs> is everywhere. And if you're going to include all of this stuff and 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 really just like extend the reach of 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 how much you're trying to display all the IP that you own, I, I would think you should put some money behind it because they had all of these mm-hmm. extras sitting courtside and they all looked like cheap knockoffs yep. of the real thing. Like, oh, there's the mask, but obviously it's not Jim Carrey; it's somebody just wearing a costume. Yeah, or oh, wow, you have the White Walkers here, but the makeup doesn't look anywhere near as good as it did in the show. Mm-hmm. If you're going to include it, go all out at that point, and they did not do that. Yeah. And it's, it's just funny, because I think we're living in an era of this, because of streaming, mostly, um, and, and, and companies buying other companies and swallowing their competition, we're living in this era of the corporate dig measuring that's happening. And it's basically mm-hmm. to show like how much IP we own. In case you didn't know... Disney, yes, owns your whole childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Great. And in case you didn't know, Warner Brothers owns 100 years of film history, and including you know the most popular prestige network television service there is. Like, we get all of that stuff. Why put mm-hmm. it in a movie? Because now it just feels it just feels gross. Because this isn't enjoyable, and ultimately, this lacks the simplicity of the first one. The first movie is so simple, yeah. and it's almost semi autobiographical in a way because it's actually reflecting. Michael Jordan, where he was in his career at that point, it actually was a fictionalized account of his retirement and the whole transition to baseball. And they took that and made it a story. Mm -hmm. And it's just about him teaming up with the Looney Tunes to play this basketball game because his best friend, his his form, his his co-basketball players had their power stolen. And so it's just a game at that point. Very simple premise. They just went all out with this one and decided to make it make it this father son story, Mm -hmm. which if that was the focus all along, great, but it's blinded and 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 distracting from from the actual story that's trying to be told because you have all this extra shit going on in the background and you mm-hmm. have, you know, just random characters popping up for no reason. And so um it, it it's it, it's a lot. I think it's a lot to to watch and sit through for especially for two hours for an mm-hmm. adult, straight up. Like as a kid, this is probably a ball. This is a blast. This is like going to a theme park. This is like yeah. going to Six Flags and seeing all your favorite characters in costume everywhere. Um this is probably what Martin Scorsese was talking about when he talks about <laughs> movies as a, as amusement parks, because this was one thousand percent an amusement park. And yeah. uh that's disappointing because as an as an adult, 
And I know I'm not the target demographic. We have we have recognized and, and reckoned with that. But I'd still like to get something out of it. And uh, I think it's so funny that a movie that's supposed to be about doing your own thing and being yourself is wrapped up in this idea of like corporations that own, own all the shit that you enjoy. That that's just that feels weirdly ironic to me. And, mm-hmm. and it's kind of strange that a, a big corporation is trying to push that message. But you're also featuring thousands and thousands of characters that you own as this as this huge you know conglomerate. So. Yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, watch it for sure if you want to enjoy it and you might you might <laughs> like it, especially if you enjoyed the first one. There's nostalgia elements there. There's a couple of callbacks that are cl- cleverly done, but um, I'm not going to straight up just recommend it because I, I just don't think it's a good watch, to be honest. Um, you could probably just fast forward through a lot of it, to be honest. Like if you want to get to the, the real media, I would say watch two things. Watch the sequence where Bugs and LeBron are assembling the Looney Tunes. Watch that. That's about a 10 minute sequence. And then watch the game. And I would say that's it. I don't. I don't think you can. I don't think you need to watch this whole movie. I would mm-hmm. say watch those two pieces, and you'd be good to go. So, yeah. yeah. I think. Uh, I think what's interesting is part of um, their unsuccess here uh, in terms of making a good film is that that element of again nostalgia like we we say it's made for kids but part of me doesn't think it's 100% made for kids like there's a lot of elements in the film that people a six-year-old kid is not going to be like the matrix i get that like you know and so like parts well, they of the, might i don't know you they, think they would with, 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 i don't know streaming man. now i mean the access that they have to every like it, you, you said it's a commercial for hbo max which it absolutely it is. is and like yeah. you know kids they have all of the they have all of this at their disposal at, at the palm of their hand now if a parent is letting their ch- child watch the matrix i mean mm-hmm. we should probably have a conversation there but you know I, it feels like such an insignificant part just to like appeal to people like it's trying to be a four quadrant movie in that right. sense. Like, yes, we want to we want to try to get those people who will recognize this, but at the same time, um, it, it's so it's so elementary in just this presentation. Because mm-hmm. again, these these references and these cultural things that they're putting in, they're, they're they're not done with any real style or flair. They're just they're just thrown in. So it's yeah. it's a very rudimentary way of like trying mm-hmm. to appeal to adults if that's what they were going for. Yeah, but I, I think that's what they were trying to do, though. Like we keep saying. That it's like 100% geared towards kids, but I don't think so. Like the nostalgia aspect had to appeal to us too. Like again, I, don't, I if I meet a six year old who knows what the mask is, I, we're we're doing high fives all over the place. Like, <laughs> good job, like you did it. Uh, because it, hey, I think it was they were trying to pull a Pixar and E for everyone, and they failed. And so now we're like, yep, <laughs> it's for kids. Um, but again, it, it speaks to the unsuccess. In my mind, in my in my mind to the movie, um, so yeah, just wanted to say that. I, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I mean, a few other things about it too. Um, the one of the things, if we're comparing, that made the original so alluring, and one of the things that we we clearly still love is the soundtrack. And this one is one thousand percent forgettable. I couldn't tell you a single song from the soundtrack. There was nothing that stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even there weren't even moments in the movie where the soundtrack was 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 surfaced towards being an important element to the film. It was just mm-hmm. background music that it just didn't matter. It really didn't matter. Whereas we know that first one I again that soundtrack is just like phenomenal. Like you have Fly Like an Eagle by Seal on there. Mm-hmm. You have the Space Jam theme by the Quad City DJs. You have I Believe I Can Fly by that person that we won't name on the show. Mm-hmm. You have all these great tracks like Monica for you I Will's great song. Like 
we remember that stuff. Fire. It, it, yep. it was so successful. It went six times platinum, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously record sales aren't a thing anymore, but this soundtrack isn't going to break through. It, it's not going to permeate anything. It's not going to be a zeitgeist moment. It's it's he- it's here and then it's gone again, you know? Yeah. So that was another thing. It's like, okay, if you're going to do a soundtrack and like create one of those elements or recreate one of those elements that made the first one so, so successful, like try to make it good. And there, we, we've seen it work. We've seen other films that have made soundtracks really, really great. We can talk about, you know, the Black Panther soundtrack is something that's memorable or mm-hmm. the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse soundtrack, which is very memorable. It's crazy how I keep referencing superhero movies, but that like that is the thing. Like they figured mm-hmm. out a way to make it work and to make these songs memorable for us. But this one did not do it. And I, also, like something has to be said about the development of this movie, the fact that it did take so long and the fact yeah. that the previous director did depart the movie in the middle of production and Malcolm mm-hmm. D. Lee had to come on in the middle Super of while late. they were filming. So yeah. I think something should be said about that. I think something should be said about the fact that there's six writers credited with the screenplay and four credited with the story. So that screen, you talked about how there's like an ADHD element to it. I'm just like, well, yeah, it, why is this team so large behind like the writing and the, like the directing? Because when I see six or seven writers or I'm starting to get a little worried. Cause I don't, mm-hmm. when you're talking about a script and a story, I don't, I don't know how many people you really need behind that. Like, is there a true vision here or is it just cooks in the kitchen that are rotating and coming in and adding this and adding that, adding this joke and adding that joke and, and, you know, stuff like that. And it's just like, okay, the, the making of this movie feels disjointed at at best and and Mm -hmm. you know with all of that said like listen everybody like movies are not easy to make by any stretch like these movies are incredibly hard i could tell that a lot of time and effort was put into this they shot it for like six months which is crazy that this took six months to film like principal photography like you mentioned there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of visual effects artists and animators behind this even the first movie the first movie was like extremely difficult to make because it was only like the second of its kind where you're merging live action and animation like it comes mm-hmm. it comes after who framed roger rabbit right. but they still hadn't quite figured out a way to like do it seamlessly and make it mm-hmm. easy like they still had to put in a lot of work and there were hundreds like 700 animators on that film and it took like i think 19 months to film the whole thing like it was ridiculous so right. it's it's clear and evident that these take time and effort and it's a big challenge to to, to make a good product and ultimately I do think people will enjoy it for the most part. Not everybody will, but I think enough people will. It'll mm-hmm. hit enough pleasure centers in your brain to make you say, like, yeah, I enjoyed that, and that was probably an entertaining movie. But if we're being real about it, honestly, if you just want to see a commercial for HBO Max, just go watch a commercial for HBO Max. Like, we don't need to sit here and watch Space Jam, A New Legacy. We could yeah. we could spend our time doing other things instead of that. I, uh, I feel bad for Malcolm D. Lee. He was on a little roll. Uh, he had the he had girl strip best man holiday barbershop the next cut and now just space jam is gonna be sitting in there <laughs> like uh sorry brother that's a yeah i'm sure he got a nice check though you know so yeah he probably he got can, a nice check he can he can at least rest on that but yeah to, to yeah quality wise it's absolutely not in in mm-hmm. those same in those same leagues of those other films so it's unfortunate but yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if we can say any more about Space Jam: A New Legacy. I would say go. You know, if if you want, it's available on HBO Max, and we will also be doing something you know pretty special to talk about this film. So if you're listening to this episode on the day that it's released on Tuesday uh, later this evening, we are going to be holding uh, the first ever 
hashtag to be in movie night, which might be reimagined as to be in movie club. We're going to host a Twitter spaces later this evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 central. We're going to be there to just, you know, casually and informally talk about the movie. Please mm-hmm. join us on Twitter and just like come provide your opinion. If you've watched it on HBO Max or if you you know went to the movie theater, just pull up on us. We'll be there yeah. for about an hour. You can pop in, pop out for a few minutes. You don't have to stay the entire time. Just come let us know what you think about the film. We just kind of want to hear from our, our community of people that follow the podcast and follow mm-hmm. our social media to see what you think about it. So we will be doing that again later tonight on Twitter Spaces, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. We're going to be talking about Space Jam, a new legacy. So come join us for that. Let's go ahead and transition and talk about the next film that we have to review. Another film that we also saw in theaters. Another sequel, in fact, Escape Room Tournament of Champions. We were lucky to get out of those escape rooms alive. I need to know that the criminals who killed the four people in front of me are held accountable. They're hiding in plain sight in the middle of Manhattan. We need to stop them. I'm in. I know this is a lot to ask, but thank you for coming with me. Do you hear that? Hey, what the hell is going on? The train is uncoupled! You've got to be kidding me. You guys have played the game before? So what is this? Like a tournament of champions? Look, we all know how this works. We solve the puzzles or we die. Ah! False advertising must be pulled. This ad, yourself is missing an E. So maybe we pull the corresponding handles with a missing letter. Yes! E. Dang, hang on. M and A. Come on, we don't have time! The missing letters are W, B, and O! This is way bigger than last time. You gotta try something, right? There's a special reason each of us survived. I can't feel physical pain. Just imagine the kinds of puzzles they came up with for me. Take a picture, it will last longer. Get some clue. This looks just like the lighthouse on the postcard. Running. We can beat them at their own game. What makes you think they're gonna let you walk away free again? We can make it stop! We're gonna get a kill. Come on. I'm not playing your game! Not now! Not ever! We made it! We made it! I don't understand. We're still in the game. Oh, no, no. Now, this film is directed by Adam Robitel and it's written by Will Honley. Maria Melnick, Daniel Tooch, and Oren Uziel, and it's starring Taylor Russell and Logan Miller. Um, again, as I mentioned, this is a sequel to the 2019 psychological horror film that came out, which was actually a surprising success. It did really well when it was released, and it was kind of dumped in January, which we know is not the most popular time for people to go to the movies, but it still managed to perform well. I think it made over $150 million worldwide, which essentially guaranteed that it was going to get a sequel. Yeah. Um, here we are just a little bit over two years later, and we have the two primary leads returning with a, a little bit of a new story and a new take on this on this, this saga that they're developing, um, a tournament of champions, as they called it. So with that said, man, what did you think about Escape Room Tournament of Champions? Man, first and foremost, I have to talk about the beginning 
of this film where it opens it opens with a recap <laughs> oh my god like we were i thought i was watching scandal or something like i didn't know what was going on it was like last <laughs> episode on the last episode yeah previously on i was like why why are they doing this it, it's <sighs> almost like i don't know why they did that they act like we're I'm watching gonna, a sitcom i'm just gonna say though i did not rewatch the first film so i was yeah. so glad that they put it there because i'm like damn i didn't rewatch this so this is kind of really helpful but it, it is stupid to do though yeah it, really it, it makes sense later kind of but kind like of. you know uh you should still yeah you they still didn't have to do that it was just really silly feeling <laughs> i feel like as soon as as soon as the movie started i thought we were watching a tv show and that's not what you want i think um for your viewing audience uh man so i enjoyed the first escape room because um it takes elements of real life of course that people do escape rooms i love escape rooms myself uh one of my favorite things to do for sure and they take other elements of horror films and they kind of combine them, right? There's a lot of saw elements in in escape room um, because everything is a puzzle, right? It's an escape room. So the, the first escape room appealed to me as, again, something that had inspiration, but it built upon it some real life. It's a great idea. I thought it was genius. Um, it Again, it's not the greatest movie. It has its flaws, but I was like, cool, this is decent. We'll take this. Here we are in the second film and... The premise doesn't make as much sense as the first, right? Uh, this 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 is headlined as the Tournament of Champions, where the um, randomly, I don't know, people just ended up on the same place at the same time somehow <laughs> that they got these people together. It kind of made no. That's the part of the movie that made no sense to me, hmm. but whatever. Uh, moving on, uh, Escape Room is it's fun. And the traps were really good, really well done. I don't know if you can call them traps. That's the salt thing. Puzzles. The puzzles were really well done. Um, and, and for that, it kept my attention, man. I, I I was pleasantly surprised, actually. I thought it was going to still be one of those films I thought was going to be worse than uh, what we were given. Um, and uh, I, I love how this secret organization kind of exists in this world and they're just everywhere. That's another thing I just like about this world is like these people are unbeatable. Uh, and, you know, um, I it's just mindless. I like how it's mindless. Uh, and what's, what's also crazy, it's, it, as fun as it is, it's really, again, not that good of a movie. Like it's like it's really decent, again, because it keeps your attention and the puzzles are inventive and um, – yeah, but it's just it's just not very good. Other thing I will say is uh, we talked about this. Me and Jordan talked about this. The dialogue is terrible. Like, oh my gosh, it's like yeah. they it's like they focus so much on the puzzles that they just like the script was just what are we even talking about? There was just so many like corny or like weird uh, reiterative moments where people are talking and it doesn't make any sense what they're saying um or it it was like comedic on accident it was like they wrote it to be serious but the theater was laughing um because it was either cheesy or yeah whatever um but yeah i uh, i i had i had fun watching it it's it i don't have much more to add to that have fun watching it the puzzles are cool uh will there be a third part maybe they could leave it there and nobody would 
nobody would blink an eye, but they can make another one and nobody would still blink an eye. Um, <laughs> so it, it really is what it is. And that's really all I have to say about this film, man. If you, if you like the first one, I would say, see the second one. Um, if you enjoy puzzles, cause I, again, that was my, that's my favorite part of the film, just seeing what puzzles and what crazy shit they can come up with. And that, that part was very well done, I think. Um, and if you like that, I would say go ahead and, and, and see the film. Um, yeah. And just, just know, um, your, your, your attention span, uh, if it's a short one, I think you'll be fine because there's enough ways to turn your eyes there's a couple slow moments in the movie they're like and eh, we didn't need that but other than that i was i was pretty good to go so i'll leave it there it's hilarious you say that because my attention span completely blanked in the second act of the movie like once mm-hmm. they made it to the third trap which involves sand and water yeah I, that's the one my mind was so far elsewhere outside of that movie theater i'm I, like any, anything that was the noise that was on the screen i could not really tell you what went down like i know i know the big thing that went down that obviously was undone by the end of the movie but i was just right. like i was just in there like what the fuck is going on here i'm just thinking of other things but yeah, I, yeah i'll say that escape room tournament of champions it's more of the same really if you like the first one, you'll probably like this one. There's enough there that can bring you back and, and get you to be invested and enjoy this. Um, it is a fine movie to just turn your brain off and sit and just watch and and, and give yourself up to it again and not think about it too much. Um, the true star of it is the production design, I would say. Like, that's Absolutely. actually a very impressive piece of it. They they put some Agreed. money behind this. You could tell that this was a mm-hmm. an expensive movie because all of the puzzles and the things that they laid out were all very well designed and had some beautiful just beautiful artistry and work done to them. And so I did appreciate that. Uh, The actual plot and the mechanics of the different puzzles, extremely convoluted. I I mean, I'm sure engineers and and mathematicians and people who do enjoy puzzles would would get a kick out of this stuff. I am not one of those people. Uh, And so I'm just sitting there like, okay, I guess that's the rules. I guess that that solution makes sense. I'm going I'm going with it. Sure. That totally works. You know, I'm not really challenging the uh, the efficiency and the I guess the rules of the game that they're playing essentially mm-hmm. and overall it's it's not something to to think too much about you either gonna have fun with it or not and so it's not a train wreck of a movie but it's also it's not a good movie either it is a, mm-hmm. it's a bad movie but it's a it's a bad movie that you can still be entertained by and still enjoy um that's really all the positive stuff that i can say about it amongst the negatives i've said anything else i would say would just be negative for the most part i I guess i can shout out taylor russell because she does have a a a charisma and a charm about her that Mm -hmm. allows you to like invest in her as a character Um, everybody else for me is pretty forgettable they cast really beautiful and handsome people and somehow like they are all the tournament of champions which is weird to your point about just the the absurdity of these people all being brought together at the same time and in the same place like so all of them are just like Maybe if they Oddly showed that like, better or like yeah, I, explored that more, how they got there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, one of them, one of them, like they all had like specific groups that they were a part of when they did their own individual escape rooms. This is a very mild spoiler, but not revealing any of the plot. But one of the people came from like an influencer group that went through the escape room and she mm-hmm. emerged as the victor. And I was just thinking like, well, everybody here is really pretty so you can't be the only influencer because like how are all these people just like this <laughs> like if we're really thinking about it it's like this is mm-hmm. this is silly you know what i'm saying um but again i i'm not gonna sit here and, and and put that much thought into that type of movie um overall it's fine it's okay 
Uh, but I think it is just more of the same. It's not adding anything new to the franchise mm-hmm. per se. It's just giving you new puzzles to figure out. And there is a connection to the first one, which, you know, to your point, that's probably why they included that recap, but it's just right. so, it's so silly to do. Like if you're watching the second one, then you should probably have watched the first one. And if not, mm-hmm. whatever, like this is yeah. not a TV show. So I, I don't think it was mm-hmm. completely necessary, but um, what's, what's crazy. It yeah. was a good plot twist. And I was like, Oh, that's decent. I was like, okay. I'll I'll take that, but it was like the the whole cheesiness of it, you know. I was just mm-hmm. like, eh, eh. yeah. <laughs> I do. I, I said I was gonna not point out another negative, but I I can't help myself. One thing that did really bother me the entire time. It seems like this movie has so much ADR in it because there were so many moments mm. where a character's head was not facing the camera; it was looking somewhere else. You couldn't see their face, but you would hear their voice, and I'm like. Y'all filmed a lot of this without a finished script or y'all reworked stuff to try to make it make sense and make mm-hmm. it comprehensible. And there's just you can tell that there's just so much ADR and, and voiceover work that's done in post-production. Because I, I, yeah. I, I could have point out at least like six or seven moments Same. where a character's face is not on camera, but they're speaking. And there's a reason for that. Typically, when you mm-hmm. see something like that, that because they, they have to do some work in post-production. Um, but if you're looking for a, a comprehensive story, this is not the movie for you. This is the movie <laughs> to just go and just like watch casually as, a, as an entertaining popcorn experience. And you may or may not come out and like it. Uh, it seems like most audiences do like it mm-hmm. in terms of like the audience score that it's received. Um, I think the cinema score was okay. It's, it's got to be. So, again, not That's a train bad. wreck, but also, mm-hmm. you know, not something to, to write home about either. So it was fine. Agreed. Um, but yeah, those are our thoughts about Escape Room Tournament of Champions. If you've happened to go and check out the film, hit us up and let us know what you think about it. Let's go ahead and transition to our next film. We got to talk about that was released weekly on Netflix this month. A new sort of release strategy that they that they you know sort of embarked on um, for for July. We have to talk about the Fear Street trilogy. There was a time when things were good on Shady Side. But now. That's all gone. Oh man, I turn the around with the skeleton hand, yeah. Hello? Still alive. Who is this? It's happening again. Sorry, I'm back! From Tonight is Sunnyvale for Shady Side. Red versus blue, good versus evil. We commence a Kate Are you okay? That was nineteen seventy-eight. Five thousand nine hundred thirty-seven days ago. Shady Side, a history of horror, has earned it the nickname Killer Capital USA. It's happening, guys. These massacres happen in Shady Side over and over. You were the only person who survived. How do we end this? You have to go back to where it all started. Sixteen sixty-six. The devil has come to feast on our misdeeds. If they want a witch. Witches! Witches! I will curse this tome. Forever. It's been three centuries. It stops here. It stops with us. Who the hell was that? 
How should I know? She was hot. The bitch seemed normal. Amazing observation. Your best chance is to run from this place. No, no, no! On Shadyside, we're all cursed. The devil is in me. Any sense for fighting these things? Try not to die. Welcome to the suck. Come back from that mother. Now, this entire trilogy is directed by Lee Yaniak, and it's written by Zach Okowitz and Lee Yaniak herself, as well as some other co-contributor writers amongst the three movies. Um, and it has a bunch of stars, so I'm not going to read every single star that was in all these movies, because that would just be ridiculous. Um, again, this was released in three parts. Part 1, 1994. Part 2, 1978. And Part 3, 1666. And of course, Fear Street is absolutely based on a, a very successful book franchise from R. L. Stein. Um, of the same name which came out oh, excuse me my phone dropped but that came out in the uh, i think the 90s the the original book series came out and it was hugely successful sold a lot of copies um it's, i think it's his most successful um book series right next to the goose goosebumps franchise and mm -hmm. this film series has been sort of in development for quite a while as well it's gone through a lot of different a lot of different production companies um and development it was also you know purchased by 20th Century Fox at one point and they were purchased by of course the Disney company a couple of years ago and then they eventually released the films on Netflix all three of these films were shot back to back um, which is kind of crazy to think about and they because yeah. they are feature length films mm -hmm. um, and again were released on a weekly basis as Netflix original films in July so with all of that context out the way man what did you think about the Fear Street trilogy all three of these films yeah man so the the slasher genre um, have went through, of course, a period of, of a lot of downtime, right? We're talking about mid-2000s, kind of late, scary movie-ish time, you know, where slasher movies just weren't it. This is when, like, the demon movies are coming up. And here recently, slasher movies have been coming back, right? Happy Death Day, Freaky, um, um, Halloween is back, you know what I mean? Like, the slashers are low-key making a comeback. Um, and, you know, not that, not that this is... Perfect, but I think it adds uh, to the conversation of trying to, which is crazy because the source material is old, right? Um, but I think it, it it does seek to add to the conversation of changing slasher movies into uh, not changing, but just growing them, ma making them something else that where they're interesting again. And I got that out of Fear Street, and 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 I think that's what I appreciated most about the series is a new take on in in a in a new story and perspective on the slasher series because they really made a universe in three movies uh which which was kind of cool i think um so fear street part one um is probably the most i don't even know the most but it, it was a uh a fresh watch for me again because they attempted uh to make a universe out of this film i thought it was um Again, it's it's a slasher. It's not like super extra horror, you know. You're not gonna be jumping uh, here and there, but to actually be interested in some of these characters and the story of uh, uh, what's going on in, in uh, between these two cities, um, it, it intrigued me. Uh, and I think and I think for that, the the first part of Fear Street uh, uh, was was uh, you know pretty pretty decent. Um, I think that. Um, I think that was a little long. It's like an hour, 
40, but it, which is weird because it's not long at all, but it, it just felt a little long uh, in its runtime. There's a couple, uh, you could there's some fat they could have trimmed in there for sure, I think, um, when it comes to at least the first film. Uh, but that's all I'll say about the first one. The second one is honestly probably my least favorite of the three, and I'm going to tell you why. It is copy-paste of Friday the 13th to me. I mean, they're at a camp. There's a guy with an axe. <laughs> it's just a little, even though it's at, as something to watch, it's still enjoyable. Like, you're still going to watch it. You're still going to be like, okay, this is fine and all, but that's it. It's just fine um, because it feels like another Friday the 13th movie with the Fear Street spin on it. The third part, in all honesty, it's either my favorite or second favorite, but behind, behind the first. And the reason that is, um, is because... It's just a good conclusion to me. I think they wrap, they explain the story. I think they, um, the action in the end is interesting to me. I don't know. It's just, I, it's the sequences happen that I haven't seen before. Um, what I will say about this entire series is that it feels a little, a little Nickelodeon y, right? It feels a little too R.L. Stein at times. Um, it feels a little too, again, it feels, even though it's, Arl Stein made goosebumps. You know, this is Netflix. They could have turned it up a notch. And I feel like they just should have done that. There are moments within the series where you will see blood or you will see somebody get decapitated and things like that. But it doesn't happen often enough. And that's probably like my biggest criticism of a lot of this. It's like, if you're going to be a slasher, then slash some shit. You know what I mean? People, when you die, I need to see it. And there was like a couple times somebody would die and you don't really see it all that much. And then the next scene, you'll see it. I don't know if that's like a budget thing or a, a creative choice um, on which way to go there. But that was, uh, again, one of my biggest criticisms with this entire series. It's like, look, if you're going to be Jason, be full Jason. Like, I need to see it all. If you're going to be Mike Myers, be full Mike Myers. Um, one other thing I do appreciate, even though it's a slasher at its heart, it's also... Uh, I don't even know what to call it, a witch movie. <laughs> um, it's, it's very reminiscent of, of uh, you know, I always call it The Beach. <laughs> uh, the Witch, man. is a lot of The Witch in it, too, um, which I like. I, I, I always like uh, movies like that. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I think I'll leave it there. It's fine. I think it's, I love the ambition behind it. A three-part horror series coming out back-to-back -back on Fridays is I'm, I'm mad I didn't think of it first, to be honest, because I think I think that part of it is really well done. Um, again, especially for a genre that's been missing things like this. Like a lot of people have still haven't seen the Happy Death Day movies. A lot of people still haven't seen uh, Freaky, like I was mentioning. A lot of people did see Halloween, thankfully. Um, but it, again, it's a genre that's ramping back up, and I hope this uh, series of movies interest people <laughs> to go see those other movies i just mentioned and people still attempt to to re-envision uh, and reimagine the, the the slasher um genre so yeah man i liked fear street um I, I, again i thought i thought it was cool i'm i'm happy they tried to do some new things and uh yeah uh potentially more to come um yeah i i i wish i had more positive things to say about this but just mm -hmm. transparently this did not, as a experiment, do it for me. Um, I, I agree that I do like the ambition behind it. I like the idea of a weekly release of a trilogy of films that were shot at the same time. Um, very ambitious, very interesting concept and different than, than what we're used to seeing. I'm I'm on the show all the time, sort of challenging the idea and the notion of like how things are released and how we consume them because we live in such a 
new age of, of, of technology that I think more interesting methods of how stuff is distributed to us should be taken into account rather than the things that we're already used to seeing, whether it's like a regular theatrical release where it's in theaters for 90 days and then you get the 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 PLVD, PVOD window or whatever it might be. Like, I, I think that we should challenge those notions more, especially even just like how how things are presented, like whether it's a, a, a TV episode or a full length feature film. So I do like that idea. Um, that they took a, a slightly different approach here to make three movies and release them weekly. Um, and it all does tie up nicely. I think it does tie up nicely. It does, for the most part, make sense. I think it's a it's a easy, relatively easy story to follow for the most part, um, especially if you watch them like in succession for the, for, for, for the most part. Um, I just couldn't get past, I don't know, I just couldn't get past the, um, and this is going to sound weird, just the, the 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 elementary nature of it like mm-hmm. these films are very gory and very violent but they do feel nickelodeon they do feel like young children's movies almost mm-hmm. like it's it's odd and it's strange like and they're supposed to be teenage slasher fix and i'm just probably too old to enjoy it at this point i'm probably just like again i'm not in the target demographic for who they're trying to reach for this movie i think that they are trying to reach that generation that is hitting the stride of becoming young adults at, at a certain point in their life mm-hmm. um similar to how people were when they were you know sort of in their teens and the, their young adulthood when scream came out or nightmare on elm street um i think that these movies can hit you a very specific point in your life and they can be nostalgic for you mm-hmm. but as as an adult at this point watching this i'm just like it's not really doing it for me they also oddly felt cheaply made to me um mm. you know you you talked about like that third one 1666 um i definitely thought about the witch um film that that, that came out from a24 a while ago which is a a new horror classic in my opinion but it, it could not you you cannot put the two next to each other because this one's just going to look cheaply made in my right. opinion like you can tell that they were running thin on the budget by this point because it has to be a period piece. The mm-hmm. accents were not that good. Um, the acting is okay, but the accents themselves, because they're you know trying to transport you to a different time, just didn't work for me. Um, I, and I'll say, you know, the first one I liked the most, 1994, because it feels mm-hmm. the most modern. And mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about like a slasher flick, fl- slasher flick, excuse me, um, sort of the modern nature of it is resonant for me because a nightmare on elm street still oddly feels a little modern um same thing with scream they all feel a little bit ahead of their time and so i Mm -hmm. think they they resonate for a lot longer than than maybe other subgenres of the horror of the horror genre but the other two part two was also my least favorite it is um it's such a ripoff even the soundtrack is just like a ripoff of other soundtracks that are so Mm -hmm. much better like like, yes, it's set in 1978, and, and songs aren't exclusive to movies, but if you're going to include Cherry Bomb from The Runaways in your movie, I'm going to think about Bomb. Guardians of the Galaxy. Or if you're going to include, you know, Neil Diamond's Brother Love's Traveling Salvation Show, I'm going to think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's like these yeah. other movies have included these songs a lot better, and they're picking songs that are a little bit more obscure. And so when you do see a movie that includes the song, I'm probably going to associate it with that exclusively for the rest of my life. Probably the, the likelihood is, is so much there. It doesn't seem like they tried that hard on the soundtrack, which was a big piece of the second one in 1978. But overall, I, you know, I honestly just didn't really like it. I, you know, straight up. I just, mm-hmm. I don't think, I just don't think it worked for me. Um, maybe if it was, I don't know, maybe if it was presented differently, maybe if it was uh, a, a series, you know, just like a limited series, 10 episodes, and they still did the different time periods, mm-hmm. maybe to flesh things out a little bit more, I would have liked it. But I don't know, because these were long. All of them were long to me. All mm-hmm. three movies were overly long. I, I don't think 
I, if you're giving me three movies that are released across, you know, less than a month's time span, I'm expecting these to be like 80 minutes in and out. Like, let, give mm-hmm. me in and out because the next part is going to be out next week. Like, this doesn't need to be two hours each time out the gate. Um, so I think that, that was a little excessive. Um, yeah, it just didn't really work for me. I can't really add much more to that. It was just like, okay, it, it's fine. I get what they're trying to go for. I do like to see slasher elements come back here, but I only think. I really only think the slasher genre is successful now because we're just revisiting the legacy characters. Like we're going back to Scream, we're going mm-hmm. back to Halloween, but like we're probably gonna eventually go back to Freddy and Jason. Like Chucky is still around. Like they're turning Chucky into a you know TV, a show. TV show again. So mm-hmm. those legacy characters still work because they they really permeated the culture. But a lot of these new attempts at it aren't doing it for me, uh, unfortunately. So yeah, that's all I can really say about it. I think me, I think people will enjoy it for the most part, though. Um, because it is different and you can invest in it over the course of a few weeks or in one sitting if you choose to, but it just didn't, it just didn't do it for me. Cool. Those are our thoughts on the fear street trilogy. If you've seen any of the films, be interested to hear what you think about it. If you've seen 1994, 1978, 1666, whatever, all three, hit us up, let us know what you think. We're actually going to go ahead and transition to a uh, very special interview that we have with Phil Hughes, who's the producer of an upcoming upcoming independent film called Thruples. So we actually just talked to him recently, and we wanted to you know, give a little bit of time to, to, to dedicate to that film. They're actually undergoing um, sort of a funding campaign right now. So we're going to go ahead and take you over to that interview, and we'll be right back in a second. All right, we're thrilled to have Phil Hughes on the show today to talk about his brand new film, Thruple. Now, Thruple is a coming-of-age rom-com that showcases a diverse group of young people exploring new answers to life's old questions of growing up and falling in love. It also champions local musicians unleashing into the world a no-skips indie soundtrack, rivaling the likes of Garden State and Once. With the screenplay boasting finalist positions in the Academy Awards Nickel Fellowship, the Sundance Screenwriters Lab, the Creative Capital Fund, and the Screencraft Fellowship, Thruple is a bold new take on the romantic comedy. Phil is the producer for Thruple and also my former co-worker at NYU. We both worked in higher education marketing where he helped manage several large-scale marketing campaigns for New York University and produced over 50 short-form videos that have collectively garnered over 1 million views. And I can't forget to mention that he's all also an alumni of the prestigious Tisch School of the Arts Film and Television Production Program. Currently, he's the creative director at Situation Interactive, and outside of his work in producing and marketing, Phil is an avid TV fan, occasional stand-up comedian, and an amateur chef. He's so excited to be a part of the Thruple team to help bring a unique story, not only about the queer experience, but the journey toward self-expression and living your best life to a screen near you. Phil, thanks for joining us today, man. How are you? I'm good. What an introduction. I'm like a little <laughs> embarrassed by that. I was like, oh, that's me. Okay. No, you you deserve it, man. You deserve all of your flowers. So we had to make sure that the that the listeners Absolutely. knew who we were talking to today. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really, really a pleasure to have you on here to talk about the movie. We're so excited. But you're no, you're no stranger to, to the podcast world. You you used no. to do your own podcast and you had a you had a really successful um a, a successful you know venture there. You want to talk a lot about that a little bit and how it feels to sort of be on the other side being interviewed at this point yeah you know it's it's a little weird being on on this side of the desk um, for the interview process but wow we started that i want to say back in i think it was like the end of 2014 beginning of 2015 um and it was just some friends and i who were just like we have a lot to say about a lot of different things and we really wanted to Mm -hmm. just explore not only our own friendship but the things that made us friends and so we would just get together every week and we would talk about 
you know, what was happening primarily within the world of pop culture, which is kind of what brought us all together as friends anyway. And each week it was just an exciting opportunity for us to pull those things apart and learn a little bit more about each other along the way. And I loved it. It's a great time. You know, it, it ran its course though. We all went our separate ways after that, but it's nice to be back. It's nice to nice to be sharing stories again in the in the podcasting world. Yeah, That's absolutely. Good. I feel like uh, having that creative outlet is always just like a really cool opportunity, even if it's not for any specific goal or thing that you're trying to achieve. Like sometimes mm-hmm. just talking to friends, which is really kind of why we started this was like, yeah, we talk a lot about this stuff. So why not just, you know, create a platform for it? Yeah, it can be a really, really exciting thing. Um, but let's talk about Thruple because that's why we're right. here today. Um, yes. Again, really excited about it. And I, I remember, you know, you told me about this like a couple of years ago that you were that you were attached to this project and yeah. you were explaining where you were, you know, really early in the process. And even, you know, just a couple of years later to see where you guys are in the middle of a, a really successful fundraising campaign. It's just so exciting. And I'm so happy, you know, that you all are seeing such tremendous success at this point in getting this film made. But I just, you know, want to start off to, to get you to tell us, a, you know, the story about how this film came to be. And also what can what can audiences expect from the movie when it's going to be available to, to watch for them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the story started with um, the lead character, uh, Michael, who's playing the the lead character, Michael, um, and he's also our screenwriter. And essentially, he is a musician as well as an actor and a screenwriter, um, just a wonderful creative individual. And whenever he would be out performing and doing different open mics around New York City, um, he obviously would fall in love with these other performers and like really just like love this environment that he was in. And while sitting in the audiences, he just started to kind of fantasize about, you know, what would this narrative be like of an independent young artist who's like trying to find this way in the world and like ends up in this sort of interesting relationship. Um, while at the same time, he was also going through some stuff with his best friend and like that became sort of a cool conflict that we explore in the story as well when you know you're on your own path and you're trying to figure out how do i get somewhere but when those people close to you that you've always leaned on that have always helped you get to where it is that you've been trying to go start to kind of pull away from you and you have to re-examine those relationships and those dynamics and so i think that when you know when we finish this fundraiser and we're we're able to share this movie out with everyone i think people are going to be in for a story that's really going to have us questioning the relationships that we form both romantic, platonic, and friendship-wise, and learning how do we serve ourselves a little bit better in those relationships, while at the same time being more respectful of our friends and like the journeys and the paths that they're on. Because I think sometimes as we get older, we forget that our friendships have to change. It doesn't mean that y'all can't be friends anymore. It just means the relationships gotta start looking a little different. And if you're not agile and willing to make those changes, conflict will uninevitably arise. And so. I hope that people take something away from that and sort of feel a little bit more connected to themselves and their own stories through that. Certainly. It sounds like a very relatable thing that I think young adults go through, of course, and and that experience of growing up and seeing your friendships change and not Mm -hmm. really knowing how to deal with that. Also, when you have the introduction of relationships and romantic relationships, how that Uh, inevitably changes the dynamic of things. And then we all have our own personal goals that we like to achieve. And, and sometimes it, uh, it, it takes a it takes a really pivotal moment, I think, between, you know, the, the friendships and the relationships that you have with people to see whether or not they're going to be along for that journey while they're also trying mm-hmm. to accomplish their own personal goals. It's a it's a challenging thing that we're never really taught, but we always have to figure out a way to deal with it. So it sounds it sounds like something that I think a lot of people can can relate to. 
Absolutely. And, that, and that's what I'm really hoping for. And that's really what drew me to the story. I mean, obviously with the title, like Thruple, I'm sure people are curious about like where that's coming from. And, it, and it's in there. It's, it's in there. We, we, we explore it. But really what made me want to be involved with this project was nothing to do with like the romantic conflict that's at the center of the story. But it really was that platonic mm -hmm. relationship and that dynamic of trying to figure out like, man, if this really, if this person really is your best friend and y'all have been together for all of these years, but now everything just isn't working the way that it used to and things just aren't clicking the way that they did before, how do you navigate that? How do you move through mm -hmm. it? And I was just like, I'll never forget finishing reading the script and I was just like, I messaged Michael and I was like, dude, like how do I get involved with this project? How do I help you bring this to life? This is a story that I feel like people need to see and people like need to engage with and you know, I mean, that probably explains why the screenplay has made it as far as it has in some of these different competitions, um, because it's just like something you don't expect at all when you're reading through it, because you see the title and you're just like, ooh, ooh you know, what's that about? But then you really get to the heart and the meat of the story. and You're like, oh, no, this is this is so much more. This is this is such a beautiful tale about like friendships, relationships, self-expression and just learning a little bit better who you are and how to let that person speak. Wow. I'm glad that the title will be be further explained. I get to have the uh, the Leonardo moment, the meme where I can point <laughs> to the screen like there it is, there it is. That makes sense now. I get it. I get it all adds up. So I can't I can't wait to have that moment. Yeah, yeah you know, I can't, we can't give away all the goods, but you know, there's a little there's some fun in there. It's really crazy how different you know growth looks on paper than it does in practice. Um, and you know, I'm just interested to see again how uh, that, that gets Im impacted or showed in this film. I guess. Um, yeah. It's really interesting to me. Um, of course, you know, uh, art always influences art, man. Music, um, and especially movies, we see it literally every day. Um, do you think you could, you, you know, can you talk about some of the, the inspirations for Thruple um, and what sparked the creative team just in general to pursue this as a film in general and how, you know, these influences help inform the tone and style of Thruple, you know, that, that, it's very important uh, when, you know, going through the process of creating a film. Yeah. So a lot of the inspirations for the film, um, like I mentioned before, are coming from like real life experiences. But in terms of the look and feel that we're going for, the kind of pacing and the conflict really does come from like a lot of indie darling films that I'm sure people may recognize, like Juno or Francis Hobb, Blue is the Warmest Color, Duck mm -hmm. Butter. These kind of like small independent films that are really more about these characters and sort of a conflict and like a little slice of life moment for them rather than sort of this like giant grand tale. And I think that's something that will be really interesting for people to see is that because the film is split between like them being performers, they're like on stage personas and presence, which definitely has energy feeling more like, you know, Madonna's True Through Dare, think like giant concert films, Woodstock. And then you have those like smaller, more intimate moments because, you know, mm -hmm. they are performers in New York City. And so like they are living in like the boroughs, living in Brooklyn and kind of those experiences you had when you were a little bit younger and you're like mid 20s, um, what those apartments were, <laughs> the spaces that we habitated look like. And we really <laughs> wanted to find a way to try to balance both of those things together. And so um, we were able to do a proof of concept safely during the pandemic which we're so thankful to the entire cast and crew we worked with for everyone following COVID safety precautions, like to the T. Um, and we were able to use like the main characters, um, actual real life apartment to kind of make sure that we had that feel. Um, and we just had both of them kind of like dress, you know, in ways that felt very real. We wanted this to feel like it was a window into an actual person's experience and less mm -hmm. of this like giant movie kind of story. 
Wow. Um, I, I have a just a small follow up. Was there any, yeah. um, you know, reservations about doing the proof of concept in COVID? It's just crazy times yes. right now. So I was wondering yeah. how that went. <laughs> that was probably one of the most stressful experiences of my life. Um, I, both of us, so it, it started as like a small, but mighty team of just Michael. And then it was Michael and I, and then slowly we started, we've been able to bring in more and more people. And as we were working on the proof of concept, we, we knew we wanted to do this before, you know, the entire world shut down. And so it just became a matter of how do we make this happen and what do we need to do to bring it together? And so Michael and I were meeting like two to three times a week after work, you know, having like late night phone calls, like eight, nine o'clock at night, just figuring out, okay, you know, we need to keep people six feet apart. That's not going to be possible. We're on a film set. So how do we do that? Let's make sure the windows are open. How do we like encourage everyone to make sure that they're tested? We need some people's results. Is that a violation? Um, mm -hmm. It was, it was a lot of stress, but we learned a lot. I learned so much about sort of like how film productions have been navigating um, this experience. And I have so much more respect for all the people who are continuing to bring us content um, during this past year, because it was no, it was no easy task, but I'm so thankful for the director and the DP, the gaffer, the AC, everyone that we worked with, because everyone was extremely professional and really supportive in this process of being like, look, we know this is what we want to do. We're going to do it the best that we can, with the limitations that we have. And I think the proof of concept scenes look absolutely amazing. Um, mm -hmm. They're absolutely gorgeous. I'm so thankful to our editor, Min. Shout out to Min for her amazing editing skills, because um, I think that it allows for people to really understand this a little bit more, because um, we try to pick scenes that will help you see into these characters' world, understand the comedy, understand the tension, understand a little bit more about who they are to hopefully, of course, you know, get people to want to invest and, and help us bring the rest of the movie to life too. For sure. So, you know, I think um, art obviously is very, it can be a very personal experience. And I think a lot of, a lot of what we can pour into art and, and the creative process definitely comes from our own life experiences. And I think that that's no secret that that's a, that, that's a huge component um, when you're, when you're allowing yourself to just give it all to, to whatever, whatever endeavor that you're embarking on. And so um, this movie is obvious obviously i think wrapped up in 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 the very personal experiences of a lot of the creative team that's involved and and so much of that is is being poured into the movie and so um i i just want to you know sort of get your your sort of opinion and idea on how this movie is going to be a film that can help champion queer narratives and romances and, and help put that spotlight on the lgbtqia community and sort of what are some of the things that you've all been talking about in, in order to, to to bring that to life I, you know I, I think it's it's a little bit it's a little bit of, it seems like a little bit less of a thing that needs to be talked about because it is a lived experience that's being translated to a film but uh were there any conversations in, in terms of how you were gonna you know sort of help bring this this story to life and help help really shine a light on those on those uh individuals from those underrepresented communities yeah, so that was actually something that was really important to all of us um, because all of us are somewhere on the in the alphabet mafia, as we like to say. <laughs> um, while at the same time, we are all also from very different and very diverse backgrounds too. And so we wanted to figure out as we're creating this story, how do we a have to be a reflection of like what New York City really is? Like no sex in the city here. Like brown people exist and from different cultures and experiences and walks of life. Um, and we wanted their stories to feel real. We wanted them to feel authentic to that. And so it just became one of those things as we were workshopping the script and doing different um, readings with actors. And then we did like a more, um, a lot of like internal sort of like script work and stuff as well. Um, I think it was a lot of just each of us 
having those different experiences and walks of life kind of saying for this particular character i see myself in them and this is what my lived experience has been and this is the way that i would navigate and speak mm. and move through those spaces and mm -hmm. so because you know michael can only write from his own perspective and from his own story and so we would try to inform him and help him with that um because his best friend in the script her name is tristan um in real life her name is also tristan um and she is she is a queer black woman and so that was something that we felt was really important when we were talking about like the conflict between the two characters what the relationship is like and you know tristan was vocal she'd be like uh, you can't talk about black women that way like that sort of like is typecasting that stereotyping the different characters and really wanting uh, to have these more full pictures of the humans that, that are behind them and we're also particularly when we were ex examining the relationship aspect of it um again you know being thoughtful wink wink uh, we wanted to figure out how do we make sure that people understand that this is not saying there is one right way to be in a relationship or there is a wrong way but it's more about exploring if you have romantic feelings and attractions towards someone, regardless of where your sexuality may stand, regardless of whatever it is that you're into, how do you ethically and responsibly respect your feelings, respect the other person's feelings, and then figure out what does that relationship dynamic need to look like? And so mm -hmm. I think that's something that, particularly as queer people, will be interesting to explore because for so long, you know, you're kind of given that very stereotypical, normal, heteronormative idea of like, boy meets girl, get married together forever. Like that is a you know, monogamous relationship. And this is a, a moment to look at that and say, that doesn't have to be the only way that we do things. It doesn't have to be the only way that you can feel things. And I hope that it will start conversations for people around ethical non-monogamy and polyamory and make it feel like it's less of a foreign concept or something taboo and more of a idea that if you care about someone, let the relationships evolve and turn into what they are instead of feeling like because you were told it's always just monogamy that's the only way that it can be explore and see what feels right for you and what works for you and i think that's something that is um great about the story and i think that's something that is great about the queer community is that it is all about exploring and figuring out what works for you and allows for you to live the best version of your life your truth and yourself yeah, I think um, we, we we see in a lot of rom-coms, of course, that that really stereotypical heteronormative portrayal of what romance is and how that sort of all takes shape over the course of a, of a 90 minute movie or whatever the case may be. It seems like we're, you know, sort of in a moment and we're really shifting gears towards telling more stories. Um, mm -hmm. I think similar into the into the vein that you're talking about, we've seen movies come out recently like Moonlight or even Tangerine mm -hmm. um, that have done like really incredible work for, you know, shining a, a light on these different experiences. And also just the the quote unquote non-traditional nature of them, even though this is probably the lived experiences of most people, um, we're just yeah. not used to seeing it on screen. Uh, were, were you all influenced by, by you know, sort of what's happening, I think in, 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 in you know, cinema right now in Hollywood, just like starting to see um, that there is like a more, um, uh, there's there's more awareness, I think, to, to telling these stories and more people trying to get into the industry to, you know, really make these, make these, you know, true narratives come to life on screen. Absolutely. I, I do think the shift that we're noticing in the film and television industry with these more diverse, more complicated, more nuanced stories of the human experience coming out has absolutely inspired us. Um, it's part of the reason why um, I definitely feel like Michael has been pushing us so hard because it feels like now's the time for this kind of story. Mm -hmm. People are really hungry and they're interested in experiencing something a, a little different and outside the norm to open their mind and to challenge their common perspectives and ideas. And so 
this story feels like it fits within that canon right now and that version of what's happening in the world. And so we're really hoping that as more people will learn about the film, as we're able to bring it to life, that it will strike at the right time, hit the right chord for people, because it does fit in with a lot of what we're seeing, a lot of what we're exploring, as you mentioned, from Tangerine to Moonlight, um, even to things like Netflix is the politician, where there is a throuple mm -hmm. that's kind of exposed there and like done very openly. Um, I think people are curious about it now and are just wondering and wanting to know. And we're starting to see those stories, I will say, told in a way that doesn't feel again taboo it's like more respectful and it's more true to those people and recognizes their humanity um and that's a lot of what we see here but again it's it's just people trying to figure out what works best for them and i think that more and more we're realizing like that is what we love to see in stories and i think that's what people like is seeing other people find their truth to inspire you to go out and be able to do the same thing you know it's one of the great things about art it just inspires you to figure out how you want to navigate and move through the world Wow. Yeah. To be honest, y'all are killing it already. Of course, like there's like Hollywood already struggles um, to to get um, like queer people in the room, but they even struggle more to get the right queer people in the room. Right. Um, and I just love how you, you're bringing everybody to the table. It's like, nope, look, as a you know, uh, anybody in the room is like we have these experiences as a black queer person. This is how it should be. And again, Hollywood has struggled to bring those people to the table um, again to write these narratives and, and have these talks. Um, so again, I, I think you are killing it already. Thank you. I so, appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, of, of course, I love music. Right. And this movie has a big music element to it. It plays a central part um, in the conception and development of the film. So can you talk about, of course, some of the underground and rising artists um, that will be featured in the film and on the soundtrack? Um, and, and even, again, give us some some direction uh, of, of what music um, is going to do here in this narrative. Yeah, absolutely. So we really casted a wide net um, when it came to the music, because, again, Michael being part of the open mic scene here in New York City, you meet all different kinds of artists from all different kinds of genres, because that's you know part of the hustle, it's part of the grind of being an independent artist here in New York City. And so that part I think is great because no matter what kind of music you're into, you'll definitely find a song or two that you're gonna really vibe with. And if you're open to multiple genres, then there's definitely a lot that you'll lean into. Um, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention, obviously our lead actress, Tristan, her band, Dakota Jones. Um, they are a soul funk kind of bluesy rock band here in New York City that has been on a upward trajectory that's absolutely amazing. Um, you can check them out on Spotify. You may have heard their song, Have Mercy, um, in Netflix's Always Be My Maybe, starring mm -hmm. um, Ali Wong. So I think they are definitely one that will be a very central role, obviously, to the story. And I think everyone should check them out. But we also have some other amazing artists like Willie Mayo, um, Michael, our lead actor. His band is called Darlin and the Band. Um, we're working with another wonderful woman named Kaylee Pryor, who makes like gorgeous kind of like um, kind of folk music, uh, TC Superstar. They are a Austin-based queer band and they do fun kind of pop EDM fusion type music. So you're gonna, you're definitely gonna pop around. You're gonna be hearing a lot of different things. And we're still currently trying to bring in more and more artists as we, as we go. Um, Cause that's one of the great things about it. While we do have like a core group we're working with cause there will be some like on screen performances. We're definitely still trying to grow and figure out, you know what are the background music and what are the sounds that just exist in the space and in the room. Um, cause that's something that's very central to Michael's character in the script is that 
he loves music and he is obsessed with it. And so there's always music playing. And so our director, his name is Grayson. He's super smart. We've had so many great conversations about like, what are the sounds that will then always playing in the background when Michael's sitting in his room or when him and Tristan are on the couch having these conversations, like how do we allow for these artists to sort of infiltrate and show that they are just as seamlessly part of this world as the characters themselves are. I love when, you know, there's so much attention paid to that, that musical element. Um, it's easy to take, I think for us to take advantage as an audience of films that just so expertly weave in musical elements and sounds and just things to, to help, you know, really bring a movie to life, but also help, I think, guide us on, on how we should feel about specific characters. Mm -hmm. um, and even more so with, you know, soundtracks, things have just changed so much, you know, being, being sort of a nineties baby growing up, like all the big movies always had like really identifiable and notable soundtracks. It's like, Oh yes, yeah. I know that that song is from that movie and I'm definitely going to go see that movie because I love that artist. So I think it's really cool that you all are paying so much attention to that. How, how is it for like all of the, the people involved, like, you know, the, 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 the lead actors in this movie are musicians, but they're also actors as well. And so there's just, <laughs> there has to be tons of just, creativity flowing in, in all stages of the process. But it's also, I think it's, it's, it's a big difficult sometimes because when you are so attached to your art, sometimes it can be a little difficult to, to disassociate what might be good or might not work as well for, for what you're producing in one medium or another. Um, mm -hmm. Do you all have a conversation about that, about things that seem like a good idea or, you know, go through a process where you sort of have to edit and figure out like what exactly is going to, going to be, be the best, you know, sort of use for, for this film and what we're trying to tell here. Cause not everything can obviously go into it. You have, I'm sure, you know, time limits and things that you're trying to achieve and trying to hit there. So what's that creative process and dialogue like between everybody involved? Yeah. So I, I feel like so far, so far, so good, um, <laughs> which is always great, you know, when the creative team and, and all parties involved are getting along together. So, phew, um, when it comes to that. But I think as we've been exploring and trying to figure out creatively, particularly as it relates to the music where things come together, um, it actually has been very inspiring for both Michael and Tristan, I feel like in their own way, as people who are core members of the creative team, who are the lead actors and like whose music kind of defines and is like a through line for the story. Um, because Michael has had so many cool ideas about his own songs and how they can kind of be worked in or how he wants to rework some of his songs to change them to work or like listening to music now, just having, you know, Spotify on in the background, he'll, I'll never forget, he messaged me and he's like, I have this new obsession with Kylie Minogue right now. And he's like, what if we did this like brilliant, cool, like, underground indie cover of her knowing that she's like this dance music queen but then we turned it into this like folksy kind of indie song and i'm just like uh, i'll figure out how to get the rights for that cool as a producer <laughs> we're gonna make it happen but also i was like uh, i love it it's great it's cool it's exciting um and even tristan as her band has continued to make new music and dakota jones getting ready to like drop a new album and go in a slightly different direction with their sound we've had conversations about like hmm, does this single from them still make sense or does this one make, or is this one the right one for us to do to figure out like what's what's the best balance for for everything? So I think there's been a lot of back and forth with it. I do feel like it's been a bit of an evolution, um, but I mean, you know, that's part of the process. The script that I read back in 2018 is not the same one we have now. Um, the songs that we originally were pick, picking are not the same ones we have now because I think it's just people change, the sounds have changed, and we're just trying to get it right. We're really trying to make sure that it reflects not only a moment in time where this experience happened, but also can kind of feel timeless at the same time.
Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely a balance to try to strike and stuff changes so fast these days. So I think to always have a pulse on those on those elements and when to make those edits, when to make those changes is really important. It sounds like you all are absolutely doing that. So so definitely kudos to you. Um, You know, it's been it's been really exciting to learn more about this movie and to hear you talk about it. And I hope for our listeners as well that they found value in hearing about this and and being able to, to, to sort of find out a little bit more about uh, an, an independent movie that is being made, that is bringing new identities and narratives to the table that, that don't often get the spotlight, but absolutely should. And also just to know that there's so many creative people and talented people um, in front of and behind the camera that's involved with this. I'm really, I'm really impressed with everything that y'all are doing. So I'm just curious, man, if, you know, for, for our listeners who might not know how to, how to help out, you know, or yeah. understand what journey you all are on, I'm really just uh, going to turn it over to you. Tell, tell the folks that are listening how they you know can potentially help out in getting this film made and what they can what they can contribute to it yeah so right now we are currently in the crowdfunding phase for our film um so we are doing a bit of crowdfunding to help us be able to bring on more of the creative team for us to be able to bring on more musicians like have them agree to share their stories and their music with us and if people are wanting to learn more about our film, you can look for us on a site called Seed and Spark. Um, that is where our uh, uh, crowdfunding campaign is housed right now. Make sure you guys have the link so you can check that out. Or if you use social media, um, particularly Instagram, you can look for us at Thruple the Movie, all one word, um, on Instagram. And you can follow along there for updates. You can meet the other members of the creative team that we've been discussing. You can learn a little bit more about where the film came from, our story. And that also is where you can see some of the scenes that we were able to safely shoot during the pandemic. Um, we worked really hard on those. And I think when people see them, they'll understand what the story is, the vision that we have for it. And we'll hopefully follow up with these characters and get more excited to help us bring this story to life because we really do want this to feel like a project that everyone can be proud of, you know, whether it's because you donated $5 or because, you know, you were following along and liking all the posts because you're not financially able to support it, whatever it might be. This film is about a community and it's about a group and we want everyone who touches it to feel like they are involved and that they are part of the journey as well. So we would love to hear from you. We'd love for you all to check it out. We'd obviously love your support if you are financially able to, but honestly, a like and a share it's just as great because we just want this to go as far and as wide as it can because we think it's time for this story to be told. We think people will resonate with it, but we need to make sure that everyone knows about it so they can help us share it with the world. Absolutely. We'll definitely be sure to include the link to the crowdfunding campaign in this week's episode. So everybody listening, please go check that out to learn a little bit more about Thruple in the film and to, again, meet the creative team, as, as Phil has already mentioned. Um, again, man, I'm very impressed by you. You are always continuing to... <laughs> paved the way and achieve incredible new things. And I'm just proud of everything that you've all accomplished so far. And I can't wait. I can't wait yes, for this yes. movie to get made. I'm very excited to see it and very excited to see, to see everything that comes out. I got a chance to check out, you know, a couple of those scenes. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm already just like, wowed by the quality and just by the 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 ingenuity behind everything so definitely good luck um with the rest of the campaign for sure and and, and excited nonetheless to see to see the final products thank you i really appreciate you guys um along for sigmund to talk a little bit about this story that means so much to us um kudos to both of you this is amazing i love your podcast i think this is so great that i like i get to be on it now it's a little little moment of nerding out two black nerds this is dope three black nerds coming next season no i'm kidding <laughs> but I, I really appreciate it guys and and i can't thank you enough for allowing for us to have a platform to share our, our little story with the world 
Yeah, no, for sure. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if we have to bring you back for for another guest appearance to talk about some stuff because you are equally oh, you know knowledgeable. To discuss. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's always stuff in in this nerd world. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on today, Phil. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely be in touch again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Absolutely. All right. We want to thank everybody again for listening to that interview again with Phil Hughes from the from the film Thruple. Um, as I mentioned, they they're they're you know working really hard right now to, to raise funds for the movie. They've done a proof of concept, which is really, really impressive. And they've raised a lot of money so far, but they're still trying to hit their goal. Um, they have a few days left to hit that goal. So if you feel it in your heart to support, I would definitely encourage you to do so. You can go and visit their campaign at seedandspark.com. We'll include the actual link in this episode. So if you want to go and contribute or even learn a little bit more about the film thruple you can go and do that but i would just go ahead and say man you know th- this is a film from a you know from i mean black creators queer creators like they are doing it really really mm-hmm. big here so this is seen this seems like a you know a, a great thing to support um and i again i've seen the proof of concept and i'm really impressed with what they have so far so i'm excited to see them start to assemble the crew and assemble the cast even more so and to really get things under under development here really soon um so yeah i, I think i think thruple could be a, a really big moment so again if you find it in your heart to support please go ahead and do that visit seedandspark.com to go check out more yes yes and with that said ladies and gentlemen that's it for this week's show that's all we got for you but before we sign off for today we do have to talk about somebody that we just lost um unfortunately this past week a, a legend in the hip-hop community a legend in the hip-hop industry biz Marquis, um has unfortunately passed away at the age of 57 due to complications of diabetes um again biz Marquis has been around the industry for so long he's a huge legend mm-hmm. in hip-hop one of the biggest personalities that i think we've ever come across his most well-known song has to be just a friend of course um which was rele- course. released in 1989 um it became a top 40 hit in several countries and it's also been considered one of the greatest you know hip-hop songs of all time and of course one of the most memorable because it has such that such that memorable hook but he was really a force i think within the industry he became one of he became one of the first like big personalities to transcend hip-hop i think he he mm-hmm. he made lots of cameo appearances in shows and movies yeah. like he was in in living color at one point he also had that that really cool cameo with will smith and men in black too and time and, mm-hmm. and Tommy lee jones was also a part of that um he was always sort of a fixture within the yeah. culture because again he, he was able to transcend and become a bigger personality than just the music itself mm-hmm. um and become somebody like if you saw his face i think everybody would be like oh that, yeah that's biz Marquis. like i know who that is um and it's really sad to see him go at such a young age 57 is just so young um but obviously dealing with very severe complications from type 2 diabetes which he's been dealing with for a while um Mm -hmm. and i know last year he was undergoing some sickness and there was even that you know that rumor that went out a couple of weeks ago that he had already passed but that was obviously false um people kind of jumped the gun on that on social media but unfortunately Mm -hmm. it came to be true and 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 it is it it is indeed a fact now that he's passed away um he died at the baltimore hospital um that he was at but bismarck e man a legend in the industry and somebody will definitely will definitely miss for sure yep yeah man you pretty much said it all i mean his his is so amazing when you can see uh uh somebody in music uh transcend music right because a lot of people only know just a friend from Bismarcky, you know, but they still know who Bismarcky is. And that really speaks um, more to a person's character than anything. Of course, that's a big moment in hip hop, but to be a big person in hip hop, you know, is just a, a, another thing entirely where somebody like a quest love can say, Bismarcky helped create me, man. Bismarcky would call me in the middle of the night. Ask me, do you know what the sample is for this? 
and, oh, you don't know the sample? And hang up on them. You know what I mean? Just Biz Market was everyone's friend. You can see that kind of resonate across social media. Taraji P. Henson's posting. I mean, everybody is literally posting about Biz Marquee. And, you, bro, you can ask my friends to this day. I still do the the Bismarcky Will Smith thing from the from Men in Black too, bro. Because yeah. it's it's like one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, just like imagine an alien's language being beatboxing. Like Bismarcky was so good at beatboxing that it did sound like a language. Like people was like, "Who is this dude? And how can he possibly sound like this?" Um, so yeah, that always be one of my favorite moments. He's always had, and even he wasn't afraid to to. Um, to be part of other people's projects, like you said, movies. Uh, he Mario, Mario, just a friend. That's mm. a bop, and Biz Markie mm. was part of that, and that's a lot of influence from Biz Markie, man. Um, again, he he was. I'm pretty sure he wrote on that song. He rapped on that song. Like he was like, "Oh, you want to be? Uh, you want to you want to make some art based off what I did? Sure, let's do it together." And him and Mario did that and made a, another good song. Um, so yeah, man, we 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 lost a, a a real legend. I think it was in VH1s top 100 artists uh uh i think hip-hop artists of all time or something like that which is is very well fitting um he's the 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 clown prince man um of hip-hop and he, he deserved that title so uh of course condolences to his family but we'll, we'll all miss him as that icon absolutely truly a signature voice and there will there will never be anybody else like biz Marquee. he was truly a unique and timeless timeless part of of hip-hop so we'll always remember him and with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we are officially down and out for this week. That's all we got for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank y'all again for tuning in. As always, we, we got a few reminders though. We got we got some things that we want to you know remind everybody about. As I mentioned at the top of the show, if you're listening to this on Tuesday on the release day of the pod, join us later tonight. We're going to be on Twitter Spaces, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, to talk about Space Jam: A New Legacy. Please feel free feel free to just pop by and, and show up for a couple of minutes, or for 10 minutes, or 15 minutes, or however long you. Feel feel like it just to share your thoughts and opinions on the movie this is going to be something new for us something different that we're trying um again to be in movie nights was definitely a moment and a thing that we wanted to continue so this is sort of the reimagined to be in movie nights into the new to be in movie club so definitely join us tonight so that we can talk about this as a community and share our thoughts and opinions on space jam a new legacy um also next week's episode is going to come a little bit later than usual we're mm-hmm. not going to drop on tuesday or next week we'll drop a little bit later that week we'll send out the official details on our social media but you know we'll be back to talk about snake eyes of course the new film from the gi joe saga starring henry golding we also got to talk about old m night Shyamalan's new movie which could either be Mm -hmm. the greatest thing we've ever seen or the most terrible thing we've ever seen you never know it's hard to tell and we also got to talk about pig starring nicholas cage a new independent film that just came out which is doing a lot a lot across the uh the 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 critics industry in terms of getting like really really good feedback so i'm very interested to see what that's about so definitely be on the lookout for the new episode next week and uh we also gotta we gotta remind them about that merch don't we man we gotta talk about that that new merch lineup that just dropped that i mentioned at the top of the show right y'all better go cop that merch right now to blacknerds.com buy everything buy your mama something buy your grandma (laughs) something like here grandma here's a new hat buy your nieces a shirt your son a shirt everybody gets a shirt okay oprah oprah your family with the two black nerds merch all right <laughs> it needs to Early happen because we got it all 
okay new mugs too i hey i know a lot of people who bought the mugs and they rock with the mugs get the collection okay yes, make a collection of two black nerds mugs if you have to do what you need but it's, it's a good time and please check out that hat that had fire to me y'all so oh my goodness um, y'all so, better so nice y'all better, y'all better copy all one of them hats man <sighs> with that being said y'all we are audi 5000 and remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all peace we go